Uh, friends, you will need a Bible, whether in physical form or on a device. Uh, we're going to be looking at numerous uh, passages throughout the entire Bible uh, this morning. And um, yeah, I'd really encourage you to have it open and go along uh, with the referencing as we journey together, particularly through Isaiah chapter 53 this morning. So that's the first passage you'll need open, Isaiah chapter 53. And I'll read this over us now. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers, is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his land. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Wow, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wonder who that's about then. I think Taylor actually summed up the sermon pretty well this morning in his testimony when he said all, what was it, all rabbit holes lead to, uh, lead to the Bible. And you know what? If there's one thing you take away today, it's that. The Bible is the answer to it all. It really is. Now, if you, if you don't know, uh, we started a brand new series, uh, sermon series last Sunday called Jesus in the Old Testament. 
And last week we were looking at Jesus teaching his disciples that every page of the Old Testament is about him. Friends, the entirety of the Old Testament is about Jesus. And Jesus says as much himself. You remember the story when uh, the disciples were on the way to Emmaus and Jesus came and walked next to them, although they were kept from recognising him. And as they were talking about their disappointment in Jesus being the Messiah, Jesus then reminds them that their talk of his life and death compare exactly to what Old Testament prophecies had predicted. And he says to them, he says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? You see, in this moment, the disciples believed some aspects of the prophets' writings, but not all of them. And the story goes on later that day, Jesus broke bread with them. And what happened? Ah, their eyes were opened and they recognised him. Over the next two Sundays, we're going to be looking at Jesus present in the Old Testament and Jesus patterned in the Old Testament. But today, we're going to be looking at Jesus promised, how the Old Testament is a promise of the coming of Jesus, of his incarnation, of his life, his death, his resurrection. And my prayer for all of us today here in this place and watching online is that we will taste and see Jesus promised in the Old Testament and that our eyes too, just like the disciples, will be opened and we will recognise Jesus on every page of the Old Testament scriptures. So like, like I said at the start, let's stick firstly with Isaiah 53. We're going to work our way through this passage and then if we've got time, we've got a few more passages to refer to places we can see Jesus in. Isaiah 53. So this was written hundreds of years, um, think about 700 years before the incarnation, uh, Jesus coming to earth as a human, 700 years before Jesus came to earth. And it contains more messianic prophecies than any prophetic book in the Bible. So Isaiah is a pretty significant book for us. And you know, even the name Isaiah... I don't know if you know. Does anyone know? Put your name, what, uh, your hand up in the air if you know what Isaiah means. Right, we're in Barbershire. But God is salvation. That's what the name means. So Isaiah's whole life, including his name and prophecies, point to Christ who has given us salvation. How amazing is that? And we're going to be looking at some of the things that he prophesied. Now let me tell you this. People throughout the centuries, have literally been moved to turn to Christianity from purely reading this passage alone. That's how significant this scripture is. Scholars and believers over the centuries have held the, the book of Isaiah in high esteem. And in fact, if you remember, when Jesus started his public ministry, you remember where he read from? Isaiah 61 which is another prophecy about the Messiah. And then in that moment, as he read from Isaiah 61, he had the audacity, didn't he, to declare every, to everyone watching and hearing, today, 
This has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is the fulfillment. What a massive, huge claim for him to make. Jesus in this moment is claiming to be God himself, the Messiah. So let's work our way through Isaiah 53 and see how these prophecies were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's begin with verse 1. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now what does the arm represent here? It crops up in various places uh, throughout scripture. The arm symbolises the power, the divinity of God. But equally, it refers to the fragility of human form. Isn't this a beautiful image of the incarnate Jesus himself? The perceived weakness in Jesus' death was actually the most powerful act human history had ever seen. And Isaiah then opens up this passage for us, encouraging us as the readers today to believe. Isaiah 53.2. Here, what we see is a, a mini biography about the Messiah. He says, he grew up like a tender shoot. What's a tender shoot? A baby. He says, like a root out of dry ground. What's that? That's referring to his roots of lineage and dry ground because as we know, because of the Roman occupation over the Jews, it gave almost no recognition to being born of the house as a son of David. You see, Isaiah then talks as we go on about the suffering servant that he had no beauty or majesty to attract others to him. And although Jesus was not likely to be deformed in appearance, he wasn't physically the most beautiful human being to walk the earth. But he was an ordinary Jewish man. Verse three talks of how mankind despised and rejected this servant. In the same way, Jesus' audience rejected him because of his message was too difficult, wasn't it, to digest. And eventually, what did they do? They killed him for it. And you know the word despised, it means to be grossly underestimated. He was despised, grossly underestimated. Wasn't that Jesus? Verse four, through his suffering, he takes our place and heals us. It says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Didn't Jesus' life endlessly model to us taking up our suffering as he stood at the center of people's afflictions, their lives where they needed healing and he removed their pain, their suffering. He healed them. Yes, Jesus healed every physical affliction. Yet that is only a foretaste of what he came to do. He came to take on our sin, forgiveness so, so that we can have life in all of its fullness for all of eternity. You see, by Jesus' wounds, we are healed for all eternity. Let's move on to verse five. And this verse, I'm just like, wow. You know, there's four um, 
I believe, significant assertions in just this one verse. Notice the language particularly of us and we and he and him. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. Here we see a transfer of guilt. And this is um, known as um, substitutionary atonement, which is a, a doctrine, a teaching, a central teaching in the church that essentially says, Jesus died for us. Jesus died for you and for me. And without it, there is no salvation for us. You see, what happened in Jesus dying for us is that all of our failures and our weaknesses were transferred to Jesus on the cross. Why? You may be here today, you may be asking, why was that necessary? Let's take a look at the next verse, verse six. It says, we all wandered away like sheep lost in our own sin. We all wander away like sheep lost in our own sin. Yet what does Jesus do? He becomes the lamb of God who had iniquity, who had sin laid on him so that we might not be lost. Wow, what a promise. Verse seven, he was oppressed, he was afflicted. This was the most dehumanizing display of injustice because Jesus was spat at. We know he was beaten, he was mocked, he was humiliated by being stripped naked. He was lifted up on a cross in the most excruciating way possible to die. Yet, he did not open his mouth in the face of execution. You see, when on trial, Jesus doesn't answer any of the charges. Why? Because in Jesus' death, yes, we see immeasurable human injustice. But at the same time, this is the most magnificent display of God's justice in all of history. Jesus took the mocking so that we don't have to. Jesus' silence speaks powerfully of his willingness to lay down his life for you and for me. Are we beginning to see Jesus? Verses eight to nine speaks of the suffering servant willing to die for the sins of the people. He was cut off from the land of the living. Remember in the Garden of Eden, the wages of sin is death. So then only by dying could our substitute pay the penalty for our sin. And as Isaiah says, for the transgression of my people, he was punished. Verse nine says he was innocent too, though he had done no violence nor deceit in his mouth. Isn't this what Peter said of Jesus in 1 Peter chapter two? He said he did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. We're seeing a prediction here in verse nine of Jesus' death and burial. 
This is incredible, isn't it? We are seeing in something that was written hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, we're seeing our Messiah. Verse 10, which is a difficult passage, if we're honest with ourselves, for anyone to understand. Because humanly speaking, and um, as a father of a couple, three children, um, one in the womb, the idea of crushing my own child let's be honest, in this day and age, would be considered abusive and pure evil and wicked. But this is the thing. The delight of the Father is not in the suffering of Jesus on the cross. It's in the glory that it would win. And it's in the salvation that it would bring to the world. Because of course, the torture of the Father's Son Jesus was intolerable and it was symbolised as we read on that Good Friday in the earth darkening and the earth shaking but immeasurable pain was followed by infinite joy on the third day Amen and verse 11 it says after he was suffered he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities this passage ends with the most beautiful image of the suffering servant making intercession praying for you and for me though he died for us he also prays for us and this should be a huge encouragement to us all today, knowing that is exactly what Jesus is doing in heaven right now. Interceding that all would come to know him as the Messiah, the one who was promised a long, long, long time ago. You see, reading Isaiah 53 simply does not make sense to us unless it is a promise from God himself and points towards Jesus and his sacrifice for us on the cross. And of course, I believe this prophecy is evidence that the Bible has, from the very beginning of time, been a promise of Jesus who would come and save us. What an amazing passage Isaiah 53 is. From the very beginning, the promise of Jesus is there. You know, a game changer for me when I was slightly younger and I was reading or trying to read the Old Testament, someone wise simply said to me, Lee, if you're struggling to read the Old Testament, just look for Jesus on every page it changed everything and so taking into account Isaiah 53 I want us now to spend a few moments looking at another passage together and see if you can see Jesus in these verses we'll look at creation first Genesis 1 to 3 and we see Jesus has been present at creation wow Speaking creation into being and speaking humanity into being. Now we know the Gospel of John begins with in the beginning. And this mirrors, doesn't it, the Bible starting right back at the book of Genesis with in 
the beginning. Now the gospel writer John is keen for his, his readers to realise that Jesus' life doesn't begin as a baby born in a stable, but in the beginning was the word. He already existed in the beginning. And so when we read in the creation narrative that God said, let there be light, Jesus is speaking creation into being himself. Wow. The promise in creation is that Jesus spoke you into being. He created you and that you were created for him. And Paul, the apostle, he confirms this in the New Testament when he, um, in Colossians 1, when he says, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Now, when Adam and Eve fall, what do they do? They hide from Jesus in the garden. And he lovingly gives them some animal skin so that they could cover their nakedness and their shame. How beautiful is that? And what's the promise here? Well, blood has to be shed. You see, an animal has to die in order for our shame to be taken away. We see that with Adam and Eve. But the promise here is pointing towards Jesus, who will ultimately cover our shame by shedding his own blood so that we don't have to live in shame anymore. You see, the promise of Jesus is here in the very beginning of our scriptures. Let's flick to Genesis chapter 12. It's about Abraham. And we see the promise that God spoke to Abraham was this. Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Do you see Jesus? You see, this covenant that God made with Abraham was going to be fulfilled. How? Well, the promise in the story of Abraham was that it was going to be fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Let's journey through this quickly together. Firstly, when Abraham is a promise of Jesus, he says, go from your country. What did Jesus do? He left his home, his country, heaven, his father's household. God promised Abraham that he would give him a new land, the promised land where God would live with him, with Abraham and his offspring forever. God has always wanted to live with his people. You see, when, when mankind was forced out of the Garden of Eden because of sin, God already had a plan to restore humanity to the land of promise. And we see this through Abraham and Jesus Jesus makes this restoration possible because he is our dwelling place. He is our promised land. We are rooted and built up in him. Jesus is our promised possession. He is our inheritance. We are his 
and he dwells in our hearts. You see, one day this physical earth will be replaced by the new earth and we will live forever with Jesus. We can live forever in Jesus and he in us. Secondly, God promised Abraham that he would be a great nation, that he would have many offspring. See, the covenant would be fulfilled by this seed that it talks about. And like the promise to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, this seed would bring hope and healing to the nations. This seed, Jesus, is the ultimate seed of promise. Like Isaac, whose birth was miraculous, Jesus miraculously was born to fulfill the covenant made with Abraham and to fulfill every promise God ever made to mankind. Paul says in Galatians 3, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. Wow, Paul sees this. He saw the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promises in Christ. Jesus is the seed who will make every promise come true. God promised Abraham to be a great nation. This was fulfilled, wasn't it? Physically, in the nation of Israel. But this is also fulfilled in the person of Jesus. You remember when Jesus was born, when we read of this in Luke chapter two, Simeon held him as a baby in his arms and he said this, he is a light to reveal to the nations. Simeon saw that Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. All these years later, he saw it, that he was here to bless all the families of the earth. Friends, Jesus is that blessing that we hear about in the Old Testament scriptures. He is our blessing, not just his death, but his life. And he lives in us today by faith. That's why we celebrate baptism. You see, in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. Paul also says in Ephesians 1, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. The story of Abraham is all about the promise of Jesus. Friends, what is the Old Testament about? Jesus is saying all throughout Old Testament scripture, hello, hello, me. It's all about me, me, me. Which in this culture, we make it all about us. But really, it's all about him. 
It's all about Jesus from the beginning of time to the end of time. It is all about Jesus. The prophet Jeremiah says, the day will come, says the Lord, when I will do for Israel and Judah all the things I have promised them. In those days and at that time, I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. Who's that? And he will do what is just and right throughout the land. Didn't he do just that? Friends, his name is Jesus. And Jesus' work as Redeemer is finished. God has raised up for us a mighty saviour and his name is Jesus. Which is why, it's why when Jesus cried his last on the cross, he said, it is finished. Because God's salvation plan is complete. He is the fulfilment of God's promise one. It's all about Jesus. Amen.